0: Hey everyone, this is Derek. Episode forty-three. Uh, before we jump into it, uh, the first two minutes, um, the audio quality is a uh, is a little rough. It's a little crunchy. Sorry about that, but past that, it for whatever reason it clears up just fine. Thank you guys for your continued support and enjoy the episode. <laughs> Guns Gear and Beer episode 43. I'm Derek. I'm joined today by Big Fred of Storm Tactical Consulting. Thank you for coming on, man. I, we've followed your page for a long time and and like love what you've posted and, and what you're doing. I'm excited to uh, to get to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.
0: No problem, man. So you want to put I drink some whiskey while we're talking? Absolutely. It's encouraged. All right, good. Uh, so for those who don't know or have been following, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your, your personal history and involvement both in the military and, uh, now in the civilian sector?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, um, after high school, I thought I wanted to be a chef <laughs> you know, I been working in restaurants. Yeah. I have been working in restaurants for some time as a teenager and I, uh, I went to a vocational high school, did culinary arts there, got some scholarships, and I went to culinary school. Uh, I did that for uh, about a year and a half. I got an associate's degree and went into the restaurant business. I had already been there, but then more in a higher capacity. I was working. I was working, um, you know, a young teenage guy. Every holiday. Every weekend, long shifts, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18 hour days, mm-hmm. no social life, you know, your only night off is a Monday night when, you know, nobody does anything. And I kind of had this uh, spark in me that wanted to do something else. I, I kind of figured out it wasn't for me. I wanted to be a Green Beret and watch yeah. some movies like John Wayne's Green Beret and classic a few others. Yeah. So I went to a recruiter, and I said, hey, I want to be a Green Beret Army recruiter. And he was like, well, you can't do that right away. You have to join for something else, and, um, you know, we can go through your options with you. So we did that, and I ended up enlisting for two years because I didn't want to do anything more as a Stinger missile crew member. So basically a shoulder-fired anti-tank – or I'm sorry, anti-aircraft missile. Uh, So basically you walk around with infantry and two man teams and protect them from air threats, which was a fucking horrible job. Horrible leadership. Oof. Horrible MOS. And and what uh, year did you sign up? That was 1992. Mm. Anyways, um, it was it was pretty horrible. So um I, you know, I started to look at other things and I wanted to re-enlist and get, get closer to home and maybe try to find some work. As I get closer to the end and get out. But after some trials and tribulations, looking around, doing different things, I I decided to try out. I was a recruiter by this time, so I was already an NCO. Um, this is a couple of years later. I had already re enlisted. I wanted to try out for the Army Special Mission Unit in West Virginia, right out of the gate. Uh, no experience really, not a Ranger, not an SF guy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And I went for it, and I did not make it. That was in 1999. When I went through my exit interview, they said, hey, you guys know who Scott Miller is? General Miller, just retired? Yeah. Yeah, so he was my commander of uh, our selection and training program. Oh, wow. Program. He was a major then, and he was like, why don't you go to SF, go to Special Forces, and spend some time on an ODA, and then come back and try again. So I I did just that. I went to the following Special Forces Assessment and Selection class at Fort Bragg, and I I had made that one, and went to the Q course as an eighteen Delta, uh, not my first choice, but it was okay. It was you know it was an SF you know Green Beret job. I wanted to do that mm-hmm. and uh, made it, made it all the way through. It was a long ass pipeline. Went to Fifth Special Forces Group. Uh, shortly after that, the nine eleven, the global war on terrorism kicked off.
0: Yeah, everything went to hell.
1: Yeah, everything went to shit, and we were deploying, like, six on, six off, you know, months, busy, 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 op tempo, and, you know, knocked out some rotations, and I was like, you know what, I think it's probably time to try again for the other place. So I, I did another packet, and I went. Um, This time, I made it, and <laughs> funny enough, uh, Scott Miller, who was now Colonel Miller, was the unit commander. And he was on my selection board and we talked about my first try and my trials and tribulations since. And, you know, going through what I did, really a total of six years to get back to where I was. And, you know, he's like, all right, well, congratulations. You're you're going to come to OTC. So I was pretty, pretty fucking excited about that. That was glad of my having my children the best day of my life. How long was selection? Uh, it's approximately a month. Okay and um went to otc right that was difficult and you know you're they say selection's an ongoing process and i you're always under scrutiny under a microscope but somehow i i made it and went across the hall and worked in a in in a saber squadron and i did that for several years worked in multiple positions uh breacher, master breacher, sniper, canine hand, operation sergeant major, and then I retired. I finally came to that 20-year mark. I was like, I had several injuries. I broke my back, broke my pelvis, little bird crash, car, you know, multiple deployments, getting blown up, this and that, getting shot at. So I was like, you know what? I want to do some other crap while I can still walk. So, um, So I decided to retire. And I had a job, kind of a cool job, somewhat lined up for me as a canine. I think it was called the Soft Canine Project Manager for a big contract company for near Bragg, Canines. So basically, my job was try to land special ops canine contracts and train trainers and train dogs for that for that role. So that sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah, it was fun. It was awesome. I, I got to work with a lot of great dogs. I got a lot of great experience purchasing dogs, traveling to Europe, testing dogs, training. You know, i had come from the year we had the cream of the crop of dogs, you know, when that's what could buy. And then I went to a place where that was not the case because of budgets, you know, they had limited budgets. So I It kind of made my skills as a trainer tenfold, uh, working with some, I don't want to say low quality, but like lesser. Yeah, less than the unit. Right. Less than optimal dogs will. Mm -hmm. Which was, um, it was a good experience for me. So I got tired of that company and decided to go out on my own. I actually had a little falling out with them. And started Storm Tactical Consulting, which initially was a lot of canine stuff because I was kind of fresh off of that. But everything, everything all-inclusive, shooting, tactics, whatever. Whatever somebody wanted to pay to do, I would I would go teach them how to do it. Um, did that for <clears throat> several years until about, I think, three years ago. I still do it, by the way, on the side. It's like a side business now. But I, I actually took a position over at JSOC as a tactical program manager at one of those units. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, Just because I took the the full-time job just because, like, the the market's so saturated with soft guys that have gotten out, you know, know, shooting or whatever, QB, you know, uh, underwater basket weaving and shit like that. So, you know, I'd have great months where I was busy as shit turning jobs away, but then I'd have a couple months in a row where I was like, man, I hope I can pay my mortgage this month. So I said, you know what? had a couple buddies in JSOC are like, Hey, we got this position opening up, man, you'd be a perfect fit. So I ended up interviewing for it and taking it. So I get a steady paycheck. Plus I can still do my little thing on the side, you know, Mm -hmm. get reaped or whatever. So kind of staying busy, trying to stay relevant, you know, trying to stay healthy.
0: Mm -hmm. But other than that, everything's hunky dory. That is, that, that is quite a career rapidly, rapidly summarized, man. That's. That's (laughs) I'm curious with the, uh, the dogs you guys worked with, how long does it take to train them to get up to the level that is required? And once there, how long do they usually serve?
1: So it's kind of funny. I was talking to uh, someone about this the other day, the attrition rate and the selection and training for those dogs is worse than for the, for us. um, Yeah. They fail out uh, more so than we do. Like the attrition rate's higher, but typically, once a dog makes it and he has the right characteristics and shows the right nerve and social ability and all that good stuff, um, it takes about a year from start to finish once they arrive to when they can first deploy. That that's kind of the, the average. And there's been, you know, shorter times than that because we were under a crunch where we had to get guys going or whatever, but typically it's about a year. So it's a long train up for them and uh, lifespan for those guys. If they survive deployments, um, cause you know, they're exposed to a lot of hazards like body bombers and, and shit like that. And they, they love doing it. Um, but it, it's the, the unit was great about this cause they would only retire, you know, they would let a dog do a few deployments, you know, whatever, number I don't really want to get into specifics but once the dog completed that and was good you know survived and they would let them retire which is really cool you know they didn't like abuse the shit out of the or work the shit out of the dogs like like a lot of law enforcement agencies cuz mm-hmm. their smaller budgets and then you know the dog has PTSD or or whatever the dogs all jacked up so they were pretty good about that
0: <clears throat> okay how often uh do dogs have like a uh, lingering lingering issues after they retire
1: Uh, you know, it varies dog to dog. I've never had a dog that had any. I've heard of them, and I, I, you know, I've had friends that have, but um, I don't know. I would say it's probably a few years. You know, if they're doing concert rotations over and over again, Mm -hmm. probably I'd say three, four years. They're probably probably done if they make it, because they're exposed to like a lot of a lot of shit. Yeah. But yeah they're great dogs, they're super motivated, they're super social oh yeah they're 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 incredible, um, yeah, the bond is unbelievable
0: with, with those dogs. You get very close to them so uh, as a handler you're you're probably rotating through them relatively quickly throughout your career.
1: uh I've seen guys retire with the same dog, but I've seen some handlers go through three or four dogs, okay, it just depends. You know, it's all timing, man. Mm-hmm. So luck of they draw in right place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. I've had deployments, you know, I've been on deployments where we've lost three dogs, you know, Oof. like a couple of times. Yeah. But I've been on deployments where we didn't lose any. So just it depends on the missions and mm-hmm. how the how the flow is going. You know?
0: I've always wondered how you how you train a dog to to be able to be strapped to their handler and thrown out of an airplane.
1: Yeah, that's excuse me. That's uh that's kind of part of that selection. Um we've actually sent dogs packing that didn't make it. Because something as simple as having a UH sixty on the ground with the you know their APU running and just the rotor the rotors at a slow wind. If that dog, you know, freaks out or tries to bite the handler when they when they board that aircraft like that that's a showstopper Mm -hmm. Um, normally and we've sent dogs packing for that and they you know it's nothing against the dog they're just not the right dog for that job and they normally go back to a vendor and they either become super awesome police dogs or you know other types you know there's other types of military working dogs besides like Mm -hmm. the soft side so definitely about exposure socialization and environmental um you know, just having that that clear headedness and that
0: mm-hmm. that um just clear head, I guess, through really. the like chaos. Yeah, they're they're amazing creatures. So your your career has spanned a, a very interesting time in American history, and I'm curious how much the the war on terror has changed from you know like 2001 to present, and, and where you think it'll go into the future. Well, it
1: was a, you know, it's like we fight every war, you know, we adjust our tactics and procedures based on our last battles, right? So Mm -hmm. always a little behind in a lot of shortfalls, i.e. look at when we started with driving around OIF 1 and 2 in thin skin Humvees, and then around OIF 2, we started seeing IEDs and getting blown up. And then lo and behold, we started running with up on on our Humvees, and then I don't know, a couple years later, the, you know, the big M wraps and the big heavier duty or heavy duty or armor vehicles. So just evolution of vehicles in Iraq Mm -hmm. or, you know, because of Iraq and Afghanistan has been huge. Um, you know, uh, aircraft, air assets, lift capability, you know, you've got Ospreys now and you've got other VTOL type aircrafts that are in development. Um, because of, you know, landing in shitty areas, you know, brownout conditions and stuff like that. Um, Just the evolution of everything, man. It's, it's, it's always, it's always ongoing. Uh, Mm You know, we, (laughs) we used to go out there at these big, giant, heavy, I don't know if you guys remember the RBA plates, those 12 pound each plates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at some of your, some of your old photos with the big, the big paraclete rigs.
1: Yeah. Now we've got like one pound level three, yeah, that are buoyant level four place. Yeah, they're buoyant. They're made out of like ceramics and these polymers and you know this fancy shit that I have no idea what it is, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, pretty high speed
0: technology. It is. It, it is interesting that like some of your old photos. You guys were among the first to test the four sixteen, and after all this time, it's slowly starting to get widely adapted.
1: Yeah, right. That's that gun was—I don't know, man. I have a—I <laughs> have, have a sentimental attachment to that gun. I love that
0: gun. Yeah,
1: it was hard. It was hard to give it up when I retired. But
0: uh, would you—would you say the the added weight was worth the uh, increased reliability with piston over the M4s?
1: Hell, hell yeah, it was. Hell yeah, absolutely. <sighs> yep, without a doubt. Versus the you know direct impingement mm-hmm. um, guns but even now so man or more so now the the direct impingement type gas systems are way more reliable than what they were in the past like the old Colt M4s you know just just more finely tuned yep yep adjustable gas blocks and you know all this all this different uh furniture they have for the guns that just makes them way more reliable and efficient
0: so if uh Afghanistan coming to to an abrupt end what do you think the the future of the GWAT will be
1: um, uh you know it's it it goes in flux right ebbs and flows but mm-hmm. you got you you go from you know we went from the cold war to low intensity conflicts guerrilla warfare unconventional warfare you know fighting jihadists and stuff like that now we're starting to I mean, I mean Russia and China our near peer enemies were never gone they were always a threat but our focus wasn't on them right it was mm-hmm. it was on the guys training in camps and you know Afghanistan and so forth that just wanted to kill Americans right they wanted to be part of the jihad so now you know they're still there they're still out there but now bigger threats are emerging and we're evolving back into that cold war mindset where with, with the near peer uh, type, type scenarios, but in a more, in a more clandestine, uh, type of, uh, you know, environment, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's evolution. There's always going to be bad guys to fight. There's always going to be people that hate Americans. Yep. None of that's going uh, away. You have them right here. And, in, and, in, in, you know, in our country, Americans that hate America. Uh, yeah. So, well, it's interesting
0: interesting to see what's going to happen it is interesting it's unlikely to be boring nope now as you run uh run your page and, and it's clear that you have a very cool history i can imagine you get asked this all the time from people is is how do i pass you know whatever x selection
1: okay so um now with the internet and all this all this information at your, at your disposal mm-hmm. You know, researching that stuff because and uh, when I was doing this, we didn't have that. I there was a few books I could read that some authors had had written that talked about like the old days. You know how selection was, and you know some of it's changed, but now you have the internet, and it's very easy to to research things Mm -hmm. and get as much information as you can, and also talk to as many people because now our reach is. Tenfold with with social media and you know, same thing with the internet. Being able to reach out to people that are a little more kind of out in the open now, um, talking to them and saying, "Hey, you know, what worked for you? What didn't work for you?" So forth. Generally, I would say if you're getting ready for selection and you kind of know what's what's on the table or what they're going to serve on the menu. Just start working those events, get yourself in great shape, but but do it smartly. You know, some of us were dumb asses and we'd go out and rock 30 miles a few times a week and thought we were going to be all that in a bag of chips. And you, know, you end up peaking before you get there and you break yourself down while you're there. We're yeah. Training smarter and being smart about recovery. Now you have human performance centers and, you know, all this information out there to kind of take advantage of. And just be smart about training physically. But you're still going to have the tough feet. You're still going to know, you know, you still going to know how to navigate. you still going to wear a heavy-ass rucksack on your back and just be used to it. And just tuck your chin, zone out, and just keep trucking. One mm-hmm. foot in front of the other, you know, or whatever. Whatever the selection is, if it's a swimming event or, you know, a, a breath-holding event or, you know, what have you. Obstacle course. It's all the same, man. It's all just grit. And and just getting through it,
0: awesome. How many guys did you see that were like PT studs but failed like NAV or some other more technical event?
1: That's actually pretty common. You know, you always hear those stories—the guys that are just freaking studs that smoke. You know, they they'll score like extended scale in the initial PT test, and their rock times will be like friggin' like a robot or some. You know, like the Terminator did it or. But you know it's it's the total package, you know you always hear that is we're not looking for the best guys, the most physically fit guys. We're looking for the right guys. So it's mm-hmm. a balance. yeah, a balance with the the physical as well as the mental abilities, the uh, decision making, the problem solving, the how do you ha- how do you handle stress, you know that kind of things. How do you work as a team? We're in a team environment, uh, how do you work with little to no information? You know that kind of thing. It's a lot. Of, it's a big mental game. I've seen like 130 pound, soaking wet, scrawny ass dudes like get through and just be, you know, just just take it in the ass. And I've seen, you know, big, strong guys that can bench press 450 pounds that can run a, you know, 11:32 okay. mile just fucking fold, fold and fall apart. You know, just yeah, you know, just gonna have that. There's a whole nother side to it, man. It's not just the, uh, the strength and endurance and prowess. There's a lot to it. A lot of it's mental. A lot of it's
0: mindset. How uh, How difficult was it for you uh, transitioning into the civilian life after you retired?
1: <laughs> at the time, it didn't seem difficult, but it, it really is, man, because <clears throat> at least for me, like you're institutionalized. Yeah. Twenty, twenty-five, thirty 20, 25, 30 years in the military. You're fucking institutionalized. Everything's done for you. Everything's given to you. Your appointments are right here. You don't have to go far. You know, it's 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 very simple life, right? At the right place, in the right time, in the right uniform. Um. Then you hit the civilian world, and that first job I took as a as a trainer program a uh, project manager. That was my aside from being a chef for a short time before I joined the military that was really my first time working with civilians and I work with some. So I came from the place where guys, guys and gals support people as well. We're the best of the best of the best. Yeah. Top half for the top percent. The,
0: The sharpest, most motivated people available Yeah.
1: to working with like, you know, Billy Bob and you know, <laughs> normal everyday folks. Not, not that there's anything wrong with those everyday folks, but they're a different caliber of person. Mm-hmm. Call it, I'm going to call it what it is. Like I had guys, apprentice trainers under me that were felons. Like they had criminal records and they, you know, they were drug dealers before they got there and, you know, they were trying to get their shit together or whatever, but just little things like punctuality or, it, it, being able to follow simple instructions, like you take that stuff for granted, and then you're working with people that you know. I don't know. It's you know. I I don't know how to word it. You know, politically correct, but uh, yeah, they're just not the same. They just <laughs> yeah. a different caliber person, and it is difficult. Like I was pretty fucking. It's a culture out. shock. Definitely a culture shock, <clears throat> and that was something I just had to adapt to. And I hate even saying that out loud because I sound like such such a dickhead. It it is, man. It is what it is. But I've gotten used to it. I've been retired almost 10 years now and I work with civilians every day, just like I work with uh, active duty folks. And it's just kind of, you know, finding your way in the world and kind of going with the flow. I I hate using that one too, because dead fish go with the flow. (laughs) Fitting in and, you know,
0: know, I've
1: been in charge and I'd start, you know, directing people and giving orders and like they kind of look at you like who the fuck are you like oh this you know i'm the boss
0: do what i say yep you got to find what works
1: exactly you got to learn people people skills you got to learn how to work with different types of personalities so yeah that was that was my uh that was my uh adaptation
0: challenge i guess so one thing that's that's kind of a hot topic among like the the trainer community um in, in the gun industry is what and what not to teach to civilians or or to have open classes. I've seen it contested that some places will offer only um, only certain classes to military law enforcement, and some are open. And, and you know, some some say it's for safety because if you're dealing like CQB in a shoot house, you're dealing with much more dangerous uh situations, and others say that. There, there's sacred knowledge that shouldn't be widely distributed.
1: Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of fell along those lines too initially when I started. When I went on my own, I had a buddy I would partner up with, and we'd do some stuff together. And we did kind of make it. It depended on the subject matter, mm-hmm. like CQB, for example. Since you mentioned it, like we would only train CQB to like law enforcement guys, military guys, you
0: know, guys that would would do that. They're more likely to use it in, in their profession. Yeah.
1: Because we kind of had that feeling like we don't want to be the guys that train the next Al Qaeda pilots that crash into nine, you know what I mean? That yeah. Kind of, that but now the times are changing and you know, who knows what it's going to be like out there. It might be like a Mad Max type. Um, I have no issues now teaching civilians Valid tactics, techniques, and procedures that will save their lives or their family members' lives. However, the caveat to that is you also go to take into account their ability to process information and what speed that happens, right? Their CPU, how fast is their CPU? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's their, you know, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, CQB uh, IQ. Yeah. You know what I mean, like some people can probably pick up pretty quick and be smooth and fluid. But then there's people that like, just to be safe, man, like, yeah, I'm not going to teach you opposing corner CQB because you will shoot you, whoever you're doing, doing it with in the face or something. So I'm going to teach you how to strong wall. Yeah. Now. And then once you get the reps and you get more fluid at it and you're, you're better at the weapon manipulation inside the tight quarters than and maybe we can talk about opposing corners or or whatever, whatever the subject matter is. So you gotta take into consideration your your audience and their proficiency and how experienced they are and how comfortable they are. So I guess that was kind of a long answer,
0: but no, no, that it's perfect. It, it it makes sense that. And especially with CQB, it is it is possible to teach someone just enough to be a danger to themselves and others. Sure. If sure. if they're not if they're not proficient at it. You only get what? A day, two days, yeah,
1: yeah. That's not enough time for them to be masters of you know.
0: No, and how much time did you spend at the house at OTC? (laughs) I'm assuming more than one or two days at at a weekend range. Oh yeah, yeah. Long, long
1: days, (laughs) many, many, many months. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's the portion where we had the the greatest loss, the highest attrition rate is. That's where you lose a lot of dudes. Is CQB interesting? Yeah, that's where the dudes kind of start falling by the wayside just just because like not everybody has that. Like I said, it's about the CPU. How fast are you processing the information and dealing with stress and making critical decisions with a very small amount of information in a very short amount of time. And, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's not that they're terrible soldiers or they suck or they're bad shots or whatever. But to to be the premier force that's gonna go rescue American citizens, you know, in an embassy or in a hijack aircraft or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's it's a, you know, emergency assault plan that has to go down now and you gotta make those those fast decisions. So they they normally don't let just anybody do that stuff, you know, with with good reason.
0: Yeah that that is interesting have you been following any of the uh the online controversy this week of the anonymous letter uh claiming afsoc was providing special treatment uh for the first um i want i want to say the first female cct candidate i heard that
1: i saw a headline on i don't know what news website i was on i think it was yesterday but yes, I did. I didn't like to read the article thoroughly, but I did
0: see some headlines and kind of breeze through it. Yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting. Have you have you noticed or have you seen any changes in standards w- when you were in in order to try and increase inclusivity?
1: No, because uh, I retired in 2012 and they had not yet cleared, cleared it uh, open to everybody. So oh, OK, I, I did not get a chance to see females come through like any selections or or training courses or anything like that. Um so no. I know that the first female Green Beret, uh she was an 18 Charlie. I remember going out to the range, the uh, demo range out there where the, the 18 Charlie committee works and uh she was in training and uh she made it, you know, she graduated and everything. And then I think she had like a an AD or apartment building. Mm-hmm. That may be case. I don't I don't know, but I, I know that like accidental discharges, like they made a big Yeah. They made a big deal out of that. But like I honestly, if you're if you're asking Fred's opinion, I I don't think that had anything to do with her being a woman. I just think that had to do with her being not super experienced and handling mm-hmm. fire, loaded or unloaded or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So but I don't know. I think did she get fired?
0: Uh no. She didn't. Uh, not not to my knowledge. But um I know that it was a pretty big headline for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, b- being the first is that you're you're just going to you're going to live under the microscope. Yep. But, you know, I think about
1: Special Forces Assessment and Selection, right? SFAS for mm-hmm. Army Special Forces. I, I, I think about the shit I went through, because in my honest opinion, that was harder physically for me than the other selection I did. Really? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Team Week. We did Team Week when it was actually Team Week. And it was a it was a motherfucker, man. <laughs> like it was an ass kicker. And we did it back when I did it. Uh, we actually got like 18 inches of snow the morning that uh, the morning before team week started. So we did all of team week and snow and I watched, we got in formation. I think there was like close to 400 of us, maybe 300 and something. I literally, the first day of team week, 90 dudes quit snow. And because of the cold and their, you know, their hands were numb, their feet. mm mm-hmm slush flying around, carrying heavy logs—like they quit because of that.
0: The the cold will multiply the misery of any activity.
1: Yeah, so I, I think of like women being in in those circumstances. I'm like, wow, that'd be a badass a female man to do some of that shit. Like, I don't ever want to do that shit again. It was horrible.
0: that you said so. back when Team Week was actually Team Week. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I know they made some revisions in that in the selection course over the years since I went through. I know they made. It I think it went down to like a day or two days. And then I don't know if it's a full week now. I don't know anybody that's currently a cadre out there at Swick for first for selection, but I, it was like, I think it was five days when we did it and it, nice. it was pretty fucking horrible.
0: It was probably the hardest <laughs> thing I've ever done. Now, do you, do you, do you pass and fail entirely as a team during that time?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you still get looked at individually, but how you work in a team environment as an individual is assessed. Okay. So, yeah, your team could fuck up the event and not achieve the object, whatever the objective is. But you'll still, you could still make it. They're just looking at the individual guys and how they, you know, they'll put one guy in charge and go, "Hey, you're you're the fucking team leader here, so go take charge, come up with a plan, and execute your plan." And they'll kind of see how that that soldier you know, reacts to the adversity or to the one guy that's smoked and he's just tired of listening and getting yelled at and, you know, fuck you. And they start arguing and that kind of stuff, you know, little terms and quarrels that go on in in close team environments under high amounts of stress. So interesting. um, You'll still make, I mean, as long as you, you know, fight through it and you work together, you'll, you'll
0: still get through. Is there any or a similar thing to team week in unit selection or is it entirely individual? Um, no, there's not nothing like that. Oh, uh, will you be attending SHOT Show this year? I wanted to, but, um, I will not be, uh,
1: not cause I don't want to, I know SIG and Springfield both dropped out kind of some, you know, the grapevine, the rumor mill. So yeah. it's obviously it's still going on. Um, I wanted to go, but you know some things came up at work. So I cannot
0: go. Yeah, yeah, wondering. it is uh, interesting how huh? on one hand these big notable COVID, companies are, are pulling out. COVID, but
1: COVID's uh, creating some, some some
0: chaos for everybody, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this week I got an email because, you know, SHOT Show sells the email list to anyone going. So you get all these spam emails from mostly companies you've never heard of. I got one that they apparently uh, bought the email list uh, and then used it to send out an email to everyone. Saying that they're not going because of the mask and stuff like that, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and, and how busy it actually is.
1: Yeah, I'm curious, but I want
0: to. How has uh, COVID affected your business for training and stuff like that? Are, are things starting to pick back up?
1: You no, know, I always get hit up for courses. I right right now I'm not I don't have a calendar up, um, and that's only because of uh, training venues. the The primary one I was using here. Uh, the, the ownership kind of changed over the friend of mine who started the range business, the training center uh, got bought out. So now I'm just looking for other venues to use. And mm-hmm. um, plus, you know, I have a full-time job, so yeah, it's tricky time management for me, but no, not really. It, and it'd be like the first year or so, but like I, I'm getting hit up a lot
0: now. So now that the dust has settled and everyone's looking yeah. back on the, the absolute clown show that 2020 was. I, I can imagine there's a big demand for training.
1: Yeah. People want to get out there, especially, you know, they're watching the news, they're seeing things unfold, and they're, you know, what what did we have? What was it? How many million new gun owners last
0: year alone? I don't remember the number, but it's a lot. Like every year we keep breaking the record.
1: Yeah. yeah and the, you know, that caused the big ammo shortage. You still can't find
0: primers if you load your own ammo. Um, no. Nope. You know, good brass like you're not going to find nine mil for 15 cents around for a while right so and that's you know that's because of all these gun owners which which is awesome you know mm-hmm. but <laughs> but it kind of sucks so it, it does yeah. and unfortunately the way the industry works will be it will be a long time before uh supply catches up with demand yeah but it's interesting yeah. to see. Like, uh, I'm glad I first got into this and I started um, my business in 2013, at, at the height of the uh, the Obama era, uh, yeah. t- pushing for a federal assault weapons ban, and everyone was was freaking out, and a, a $600 AR-15 was going for like $2,000. Oh yeah, and that was, and that was that crazy. And they're
1: like the best thing for the gun industry. Like, they're yeah, they're selling guns left
0: and right for us. And as 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 twenty twenty showed us, uh, social unrest is also very good for the industry. It makes a lot of people realize, hey, maybe hey, I need to take care of myself. That's right, defunding the police and oh yeah, yeah, that was you know, interesting. And, let off and you know no more bail and like well, and the the defunding of the police, like uh, Cincinnati and a lot of the other big cities that did it are now quietly rolling that back. Yeah because surprise there's a spike in crime yeah idiots it's it's crazy i'm doubtful that we'll be done with covid shit in 2022 i think i think they're gonna try and drag that out as long as possible
1: oh yeah Yeah, yes things are getting really stupid here
0: yeah i'm in relatively rural colorado where no one no one really cared about masks at all but whenever I, i go into a metropolitan area it's it's an entirely different world. Well, at least here in Colorado, parts of Boulder and, and Denver are still like on hard lockdown. You know, people going out with like the, the double mask and the plastic face shield. And like for some people, I don't think it'll ever be over. I think they'll they'll just nope. perpetually live in fear of it, which just seems like an exhausting way to live life. It's getting crazy. It, it is at least, at least for the time being. I think only because there's enough public support for it. But at least for the time being, the current administration is not uh, actively pushing for any kind of gun control. But we'll see. We'll, we'll they, see what they changes.
1: Do. They just—it's not as out in the open as it as it once was. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're still doing it though. Mm-hmm. They're not being successful at it, thankfully. Still yeah. looking for
0: it. A- after 2020. Public—I want to say—public support. Uh, for gun control is the lowest it's been in like 30 years or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people realized it, it doesn't take much for everything to go to hell in a handbasket. Well, they're having, I saw something, It was an article. I remember. I don't remember what website,
1: but in California, you know, all these uh, wealthy people are are buying up firearms and they're looking for training. So I'm like, well, shit, man, I need to start, I need to find some ranges out in California and start doing some. Courses out there because there's some money to be made out there. I think. Mm I've got a I've got a a buddy up in Idaho, lives in Portland, Idaho. He runs a dog kennel up there. He asked me if I would go do some shooting out there. I'm like, oh yeah, man, I'll come out there and do some some training. Just you know, set it up. Mm -hmm. Some people that want to come do it. I'll get up there. Oh yeah, beautiful. I love Idaho. Yeah, yeah. Colorado. I remember doing a. Training trip out there with some winter training. We went to um Steamboat Springs. Oh yeah, we one of the uh the team leader we at the time, his wife was from there, so she had a lot of connections with different training areas. Man, what an awesome trip! I never seen so many elk in one spot <laughs> I did just driving around like some of the pastures out there, the rolling hills.
0: It's crazy. Hundreds, it's-
1: hundreds of elk in a herd. I'm like, oh my god, just.
0: Hanging out, grazing on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And they're, they're smart too. They know, they know yeah, they which, know. which area they don't get shot at and which areas they do. Yeah. All right. Well, is there any other in particular topics you'd like to cover? Yeah. I mean, I could talk
1: about, you know, my social media stuff. real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Plug your shit.
0: Where can people find you?
1: All right, cool. So, um, I have an Instagram page storm underscore tactical underscore Consulting. Um, you know, you can go and follow. I've been doing more live uh streams, you know, IG Lives and Mm -hmm. I also have a YouTube channel. I just kind of I'm getting going. Um playing with that a little bit, but I think I'm gonna also start a rumble. I haven't done it yet in a Patreon account because I I get hit up from people all over the world, Mm -hmm. you know, shooting tips and you know, range drills and stuff like that. So I think I'm gonna start a Patreon account. And I also have a Facebook. It's very small. I don't really do a lot with Facebook because they're they're
0: they're pretty horrible. Oh yeah, and the 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 outreach on Facebook now, unless you're paying for an ad, it's it's awful. That's garbage. Yeah. But uh, they're all um, Storm Tactical Consulting. So that's it, really, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time. No, oh, man, I, I appreciate coming on and, and and telling your story. You had uh, a wild career. Uh, hopefully, people check you out. Hit you up for classes. Yeah, definitely. All right. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, man.
1: Have a good one.